and entering human history by being born in a stable in a little town called Bethlehem where he became one of us. He became human. He became one of us so that he could be, so that we could become one with God. That barrier that stood between us and God, our willful disobedience, our rebellion, our sinfulness, our greed and pride. In other words, all of our sin was eradicated and eliminated and done away once and for all because God became one of us. Now, what that means is today, friends, there's nothing that stands between you and God. Now, some of you might say, well, but I'm a sinner. Yeah, you are. In fact, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus paid the price for those sins, the sins of the whole world. But some of you might still want to argue and say, but Pastor, you really don't understand. I sin a lot. I mean, I sin a lot. I sin that I do the same sins every day, day after day, even when I promise that I will never, ever do it again. And Pastor, when I try not to do it, I still sin, and I sin all the time. Guess what? That makes you human. And that makes you in need of God's grace. And the good news is, whether you sin or you sin a lot, however you want to phrase it, forgiveness is yours through Jesus. We can approach God's throne. We come in prayer. We can approach Him with confidence, we can be sure that we will receive his mercy, we receive his grace, we receive his forgiveness, we receive his help whenever we need it. That's why Jesus came to become one of us, to make available to everybody all of his glorious promises, anybody who calls on his name. So if you are here today, for example, and you want to be forgiven of something, if you want to be cleansed through and through, or if you want to somehow get that spiritual connection a little bit tighter between the God of the universe, that can happen. Jesus makes all of that stuff possible. And if that's not good news enough, the good news gets even better. You can be forgiven absolutely and completely and a whole lot more than that. That's why I always think about grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. We know Christ's expense with his death on the cross, but what about these riches? I mean, there's so much more than just being forgiven absolutely and completely. Life in God is about more than just having the penalty for our sins wiped away. It's also about having the very presence of your sins washed away as well. It's experiencing that day-to-day power to overcome all of those sins that you say that you somehow can't quit doing. See, Jesus not only came to pay the price for your sins... He also came to show us how to live. Now, I record a little video sometimes in the morning, put it on Facebook, and I, I did say I wore this tie, first of all, because Nebraska beat Northwestern yesterday. But I also said that I thought about when I looked at it, the end could stand for nature. Because Jesus really had two natures. He was both God and man. And sometimes we forget that he actually, he had this human nature about him. Now, Hebrews 5 talks about him being our great high priest, but it also shows how he lived out his human nature. 
what a life lived out the right way looks like. It shows how Jesus fulfilled his purpose on earth, how he became our high priest. And it also shows how every last one of us here can live out our purpose on earth by following his example. Now, I'm sure you've heard this before. We're called upon to imitate Christ. Imitate Christ. But the fact is, there are a lot of things that Jesus did that are impossible for us to do it. I'm going to just check. How many of you walked on water to get here this morning? Probably nobody. How many of you have turned water into wine recently? Anybody raised anybody from the dead? How about cure leprosy? Oh, okay. None of us have done that. I mean, we may not be able to imitate his miracles, but the Bible says that we should have this same attitude. We can imitate his attitude. We can imitate the attitude with which he approached his own relationship with his Father in heaven. See, when Jesus came to earth as a man, he achieved his full potential. He was God and man. And today I want to show you how you can reach your full potential in God by just following the example of Jesus. And guess what? You can do it. I'm not going to tell you anything today that you cannot do. Let me share three keys with you. And here's key number one. Seek God's call in your life. Now, in respect to Jesus being our high priest, what what Kevin read before in verses 4 to 6 says, No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You're my son. Today I become your father. And he says, You are now a priest like in the order of Melchizedek. Now, what the writer is saying here is that Jesus did not come to do his own will. He didn't come to choose his own path. He came to do what God called him to do. In fact, if you go back and read the Gospels in John chapter 5, verse 30, it says, I can do nothing. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. And earlier in John chapter 4, he said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. See, Jesus came to do his Father's will, not his own. And I want to suggest to you that that's exactly what you and I can do. We, too, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can follow his will. Now, some of you may not understand this quite yet, but I'm going to tell you something that's very true. God has a will for your life. God has a call for your life. Now, your objective kind of like Mission Impossible, if you undertake this, you you can figure this out. You can uncover it, and when you uncover God's call or God's will on you, then you spend the rest of your life doing it. Now, I would suggest that there are probably a certain number of you here today that you know what your calling is. You pretty much figured out what God has in order for you to do in this life. You figured it out, and you're kind of comfortable with that idea that God has put you in this particular uh, career, this job, or this marriage, or this family, or you understand why God has you in this city, or in this church, or in this ministry, and on and on. Now, for all of you, though, that don't have that certainty, that are really not sure what God's will is for your life, or what God's call is on your life, 
I want to greatly encourage you to find out what it is. The Bible says, ask and seek and knock. It'll be open to you. I mean, ask God at every turn, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to be? Who do you want me to be? What should I do when I finally arrive? I can tell you a couple of things about his will that I guess I've learned in my own life. One of them is that he never keeps it a secret from you. He actually wants you to know what his will, his purpose, his call is for your life. And he'll reveal it when you're ready to do it. Now, the reason some of you don't maybe figure it out, if he caught that, maybe some of you aren't quite ready to follow his will. You're not quite ready to follow his call. You've been kind of resistant. But it's still out there nonetheless. The second thing is, when he does reveal his will or his call on your life, your response may very well indeed be like, wow, are you sure? Are you sure? Do you really think I can do that? Now, we say, for example, um, teaching. Let's just use teaching as an example. Teaching is a pretty comfortable profession. You get decent pay. You get some fairly nice long vacations during the summer months. It tends to be interesting work. But see, what God would be saying to you is, friend, I'm not just calling you to teach. I'm calling on you to shape the destinies of the students in which you encounter. I'm calling you to be a person of godly influence to make an impact that will be felt for generations to come. Now, you could plug anything else in there. I mean, I could could say the same thing about being a pastor. I could say, well, you know, being a pastor is a fairly comfortable position. You get decent pay. You kind of get to set your own hours. But see, God would say to me, but Barry, I, I didn't call you just to preach. I didn't call you just to be a pastor. I called you to help shape the destinies of the students or the parishioners that you encounter. I'm calling on you to be a person of godly influence to make an impact that will be felt from generations to come. I'm looking at Garrett. I mean, who's a high school student. I mean, you might say, well, being a, being a high school kid's not a bad deal. I mean, you go to school a little bit. You have a little fun. You go to homecoming. You escort cheerleaders all over the place. I think I saw a picture of you doing that somewhere recently. And it's not a bad deal. You get summers off. You get a few vacations. Well, I think what God would say to you is, yeah, I'm not just calling you to be a high school student. I'd say that to any of you that are students. I'm calling on you to be in a position where you could possibly shape the destinies of other people that you encounter. I'm calling on you to be a godly person of influence there, too, to make an impact maybe on other people that will be felt for generations to come. Now, I think about this for an example. I just came back from my 50th high school reunion. You know what happens when you go to reunions? You hear all kinds of stories. And I was greatly surprised by a couple of people who said to me, you have no idea what an impact you've made on my life over the years. And I kind of went, what? (laughs) Really? Me? And then they would say something and you kind of forgot about it. But, you know, God, wherever God plants you, that's where he expects you to bloom. I don't care whether you're working in a factory, an office. I don't care whether you consider yourself to be retired or a stay-at-home mom or anything. See, no matter what job you have, there's a calling built into it. A way in which you can build God's kingdom by making a difference in the lives of other people. 
I mean, that, that's what I say when people sometimes say, well, why do you want to go spend time in prison all the time? Why don't they just lock up the keys and throw them away? Well, first of all, it's a dopey question. I don't rarely, I don't often tell people that, but now you've heard me say it. <laughs> it's kind of a, I'll tell you why I go. It, it hasn't got anything to do with me. First of all, I feel called to do it. And second of all, I view it as an opportunity to to build God's kingdom by maybe in some way making a difference in somebody else's life. Now, I'm not doing that because I can carve a notch on my Bible. I'm not doing that because I hope someday I can say I get to get in heaven because I worked in prison for X number of years. I'm not doing that in the hopes that I earn a way into into heaven because I understand none of that's going to work. I do that because I know God's called me. And because I understand what God has already done for me in Jesus Christ, what is my response to that but to serve him? See, Jesus came not to do his will. He came to do the will of the Father who sent him. That ought to be your objective and mine, too. Now, here's the second key. Make a daily devotional life top priority. Make a daily devotional life top priority. Verse 7 that Kevin read to you before says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the ones who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Now, when you go through the Gospels, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you notice right away that Jesus spent an awful lot of time in prayer and communion with his Father. For example, Mark chapter 135. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Or Luke 5:16. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You remember what Jesus was doing in the Garden of Gethsemane before he died? Alone in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. I think Jesus knew when he prayed that prayer, there was no getting out of what he was going to face. Yet it was through prayer that night in the garden where he found strength to face those next days. That's why he told his disciples in the garden that night. Remember every time he went back, they were sleeping. What did he tell them? He says, keep alert and pray. Otherwise, temptation will overpower you. Now, I look at this, I say, man, if a devotional life was something that Jesus did all the time, if the Son of God needs to pray in order to fulfill his purpose on earth, man, how much more do I need it? Dwight Moody, founder of Moody Broadcasting, Moody Bible Institute, was once asked what he thought about heaven. And he said, quote, next to the wonder of seeing my Savior will be, I think, the wonder that I made so little use of the power of prayer. I think the same could be said for every last one of us. We don't make enough use of the power of prayer. Sometimes I think we forget that we can call on him anytime and he'll listen. We can bring our requests to him. We can bring our worries to him. We can bring our fears, our frustration. We can engage in a conversation back and forth and he will always be there. And yet... So often we face life's greatest difficulties all alone. I just talked to somebody yesterday who was telling me really the problems they're going through. And I, I said, have you been praying about this? And the answer was, well, no. 
You know, you've turned off life's greatest resources. Like, I'm going to take a shower, but I'm not going to turn on the water. You know, I'm going to save it for it. I don't know when I smell really bad. I don't know why you would do that. And I told this person, look, it doesn't have to be that way. Well, I thought you could pray for me. Well, I will pray for you. But you need to pray for yourself, too. Talk to God about it. If you want to fulfill your potential as a human being, make your devotional life a top priority. Allow yourself the luxury, and I would call it the luxury, of talking to God all day long about every detail of your life. Now, I, you know, today you see a lot of stuff, people texting. What they always use this, they start out with an OMG, oh my God. Too bad they couldn't use that as a lead into prayer. Oh my God, I praise your holy name. OMG, be gracious to me. Rather than kind of using it in vain. And I'll assure you, you know, he'll listen. I mean, you may, you may call me and I may not be there sometime to pray for you. You may call an elder and they're not going to be available to come and pray for you at a particular time. But I got news for you, God's always there. He never shuts down. He's there 24, 365. In him you find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Here's the third key. Be ready to grow through suffering and obedience. The writer of Hebrews said something that was very interesting. I don't know if you caught this. Uh, it, it was kind of interesting, a little bit confusing, but in verse 8 he talks about Jesus when he says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect. Now, what does that mean, that Jesus learned obedience? What does it mean when it says he was made perfect? Does that, that mean that, does that mean that at some point that Jesus was actually disobedient? Or at some point he was not perfect? Well, the answer to that is no, not at all. Here's what it means. Jesus came to this earth to be fully human, to be one of us, if you will. He didn't float from place to place on a little cloud Every time he spoke, a little choir of angels accompanied by harps was not playing. He subjected himself to the same limitations that you and I have. When Jesus was tired, what did he do? He slept. When Jesus was hungry, what did he do? He ate. When he worked with wood, he sometimes got a what? Maybe a splinter in his hand. Just as he learned from his own mother how to walk and talk and Maybe how he learned from his own father how to pound a nail in or to build a shelf. He learned from the scriptures. He, he learned how to pray. He learned how to do God's will. And in the course of doing God's will, guess what? He endured many times where he suffered, where he cried, where things hurt. Certainly at the point of his death. His suffering and his obedience to doing his father's will is what made him perfect. And here the Greek word for perfect literally means he completed the mission or the task that he was assigned. You and I have been assigned tasks, too. And sometimes those tasks come with suffering. God's placed the call on your life, my life. He's designed a mission especially for you. You grow into that mission by being obedient, doing what God asks. You do it sometimes through suffering. It's not always easy doing what it is that God wants you to do. And some of you might say, well, I really don't like to suffer. Who does? I mean, if you really like suffering, I, maybe you need help. 
Yeah, but suffering is just part of what human beings do. I mean, everybody suffers. People who believe in God suffer. People who don't believe in God suffer. People who try to do God's will suffers. People who run away from doing God's will suffer. Suffering is a universal reality. You see, God's power works in your life in a very special way. He uses these moments of suffering, enduring with what he calls reverent submission. Reverent submission, just saying, Lord, you've asked me, you've called me, therefore I will. You know, for people who live a life without God, this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It's amazing the number of times that I have done a funeral that's been attended by a lot of people who don't know who Jesus is. What great grief and suffering these people go through because none of this makes any sense to them. You know, there's a scripture in Corinthians that says, We weep, but not as those who have no hope. Guess what? I've been to a lot of funerals where people cried like, like they were going to die themselves. Why? Because they had no hope. They had no hope for that person. They had no hope for their own lives. That's a sad thing. I mean, without God, suffering makes absolutely no sense. It's just something to be avoided at all costs. You wonder why people drink themselves into oblivion or drug themselves into oblivion? It's the only way they can cope sometimes with life. You know, and yet we need to walk in those people's lives and say, look, you can avoid that kind of suffering. You see, those of us who live in this reverent submission to God, suffering and obedience are really tools that God uses for designing and helping us to do the jobs we're called to do. I mean, Jesus learned from obedience what he suffered. His suffering perfected him to fulfill God's call in his life. It's the same for you. That's why I said this little text. Jesus gives us a wonderful example to follow. And in the same way that he sought to do his Father's will, the same way that he lived his life in reverent submission to God, making prayer and fellowship with God a top priority, the same way that he learned obedience through suffering, we are called to follow in his footsteps. Now, I always like to leave you a little something to take away, and I, it'll be up here on the screen, some, some takeaways. I, I just hope that you would think about these, take these away with you, that, that there be a commitment in your life to focus on doing God's will. If you know what it is, Keep at it. If you don't, keep asking. Keep exploring. But a commitment to focus on doing it. A second one is a commitment to focus on spending more time in his presence. I'm not sure that I could begin a day without praying. I haven't tried it, but I I don't think I could. I tried to skip church once about 15 years ago. You know that? I actually tried to skip. I I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, of all places, and I, I was there for... I don't mean, I think I was going to a basketball tournament or something. And I woke up on a Sunday morning and I thought to myself, man, I don't even need to go to church today. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I got out of bed and hightailed at the church. I mean, it was a great habit to have. I'm not sure how I could start my day without prayer, without scripture reading. Or just understand that I could walk out in the presence of God. You know, some people who get up in the morning and go, oh God, it's Monday. That's not me. To me, it's like, oh, God, it's another Monday. People go, thank God, it's Friday. I always tell them, no, thank God, it's closer to Sunday. This is the day the Lord has made. I will grumble and gripe about it. That's the way some people approach life. No, spend 
time in the presence of God, see if it doesn't jolly you up a little bit. And the commitment to facing suffering with a teachable spirit. An attitude of reverent submission. When God became one of us, and guess what? He did. He became one of us. That's what he did. And that's the example that he left for us to follow. May God bless you in that pursuit. Amen.